This is NBA Sound System Live, featured on NBA.com sites around the world and archived on the NBA Sound System podcast feed, where you get your podcasts by searching NBA Sound System. Thank you for joining us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, each with the handle at NBA Sound System, or visit us at NBASoundSystem.com for more. Now, NBA Sound System Live. It is indeed NBA Sound System Live. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty from NBA.com Global. Scott, we got a lot to talk about on the show this week. We'll get to Giannis and the Bucks. We'll get to the Miami Heat and the Celtics. That's going to be a great series. We'll get to the Lakers' chances of getting another banner hung up at Staples. But we have to start with Game 7. The two best words in all of sports. The Denver Nuggets... LA Clippers going head to head tonight. If you're listening to the live program, if you're listening to archive version, you already know what happened, but we are excited about a game seven. I'm excited about a game seven because I have no clue what's going to happen. Scott, the the nuggets have battled back. I said famously last week on this podcast that they threw away the series when they lost game two of uh, the series against the Clippers and some way, somehow they've battled back to force a game seven. I mean, this team is just, I don't even know how to describe them. I mean, I feel like we've counted them twice in these playoffs. In the first round against the Jazz, they were down 3-1, and they came back and forced a Game 7, and then won that Game 7 off of a, a shot from Mike Conley that rimmed out. And here they are again. They were down 3-1 to the Clippers team that I considered the favorites to win the title of the season. Like you said, we were here last week talking about how the Nuggets basically, not not they didn't even just blow a chance in game two. That We, we kind of just shrugged them off and said, that's it. That that was our opportunity to win one more game. But their, their fate was kind of sealed. And now they're in a game seven. And look, I, the Clippers are the better team. I think we can say that. They have the best player in Kawhi Leonard. But crazy things can happen in game seven. Um, it's, it's just, you know, you win or you go home. With a team like Denver that has the star power that they do in Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, Either of those can go. Either of those guys can go off in a game against really anyone uh, and win a game against a team that's as good as the Clippers. So it, it's it's going to be a fascinating game, and I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, it, it really will. I, I think it's going to be excellent. I've been you know listening to a lot of the coverage uh, all week and really the last couple of days specifically about this series. And um, you know everyone's trying to figure out what happened. You know how did we get here? How did we get to a game seven? Uh, it's Doc is uh, you know not the coach that everyone thinks he is. It's Paul George and Kawhi Leonard not meshing the way we thought they would. It's Lou Williams and, and Montrez Harrell not having the same impacts that they had in the regular season. Uh, it's guys taking time off. It's the fact that a lot of their team didn't get back to the bubble in shape. It's the fact that uh, guys were coming in and out of a lineup. It's the fact that they don't have the bigs to hang with Nikola Jokic. There's all these different scenarios that I've heard as to reason why the series is tied at three at the moment and that we're headed to a game seven. And Scott, you know the one reason I didn't hear enough of, and I want to give some people credit because I know they said this, but the one reason I didn't hear enough of is a simple fact that how about the Denver Nuggets are a good basketball team? Why don't we talk about that? Why don't we talk about this team that you know most people expected to get to the second round of the playoffs? Why don't we talk about a team that finished third in the conference and, and really close to the end of the season there, had a chance at stealing the number two seed away from the Clippers. Why don't we talk about the fact that they have Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, two stars who have really developed over the last two playoff runs 
and have proven time and time again that you can count on them to give you big-time performances when it matters the most. And also, they have uh, you know a, a good long bench that they can you know get guys in and out of the lineup. And I don't think people you know, and myself included, because we've talked about this off the air, Scott. I don't think people have given Denver enough credit for the fact that they were able to make it this far, and Gary Harris wasn't always available in the playoffs, and they're still missing a starter in Will Barton who would make a huge difference to this team. I think if you take two starters off of any team, you can't expect much from them. This Denver Nuggets team, uh, I don't want to say that they've been under the radar because a lot of people have said that this is a under-the-radar team, and the fact that they're in Game 7 against the Clippers, albeit the fact that the Clippers were picked by most people to win a championship, and maybe people are a little bit nervous about that, but this this Nuggets team is still really good, and I think we should give them more credit than something is wrong with the Clippers. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and on that, by the way, is there a superstar? I think it's fair to call Nikola Jokic a superstar at this point. Uh, is there another superstar in the league that kind of flies under the radar more than he does? Because I feel like even the last two years, the debate has been between him and Joel Embiid, like who is the best center in the league? And even if even going into these playoffs, people still there were some people who were saying that Embiid's the better player. And I think in a vacuum he is, because Joel Embiid defensively has a potential to be the best player in the league on that end of the court. And offensively, there's no answer for him. But based on what we've seen on the court, taking the potential aside and 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 all that, Jokic has clearly been better than him. And this is a guy who, you know, they had a really good run last year um, on the strength of his play. And Jamal Murray stole a show in the first round, but he's just completely dominated this second round to the point where, like, you could make the argument that he has been the best player in the series, even over Kawhi Leonard. Um, so I, I think, you know, that, that that's that's the first thing. The second thing is Jamal Murray has taken the leap in these playoffs. He, he's been a little bit quieter in this series um, just because the Clippers have so much perimeter um, so many good perimeter defenders to throw at him that it, it's been much more difficult for him. But he's, he seems like he's kind of taken the leap that we were all expecting. And I do think that the addition of Gary Harris or getting him back um, ha- has made a huge difference for them. Because, you know, Gary Harris isn't a guy who's going to be putting up big numbers. But one thing you know is that he's going to give you really good defense. The other thing, too, is he's just a smart player. And being able to put that kind of guy next to Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic allows... Um, the, the Nuggets to roll out basically five players like a, a legitimate starting lineup like you're saying you take two starters away from any, te- any team in the league they're going to feel the impact of that and having Gary Harris in that situation bumps everyone else down like um, you know Michael Porter Jr. Who, who's had a really good playoffs and I think we're all encouraged by his potential and what he can do but if he's like your, your third best player or your third leading scorer in his first season in the playoffs that's not ideal um, so I think that just kind of moves everyone else down into the places that they need to be. And then, you, like you're saying, you're seeing this Nuggets team that had the third best record in the West. Everyone's healthy. Nikola Jokic is playing the best basketball of his career. Um, and they absolutely deserve more credit than they are getting for pushing this Clippers team to Game 7. All right, we're out of Game 7 now. And as you said, anything could really happen in a Game 7. It is uh, kind of, the be- like I said, the best two words in all of sports Everyone, I think, heading into this game is expecting the Clippers to win this and move on. And I don't know if that's more to do with the Clippers being the better team or the fact that no one wants to be wrong about the predictions that they've had all season long. And that those predictions are either the Clippers are winning it or we see a Clippers-Lakers conference finals. And I think, honestly, as a fan, 
I would rather see the Clippers and Lakers face off in the finals. I, I think that is going to give me, or the conference finals rather, I, I think that's going to give me as a fan the best case scenario basketball-wise. I think it's high level. I think it's the two best teams in Western Conference on paper. But I don't know. I, I, now that the Nuggets are into this and they have this kind of Cinderella feel to it, I don't. I wouldn't mind seeing the Nuggets pull this one off and, and and kind of upsetting everybody a little bit. Where where do you sit on this? Do the Nuggets realistically have a chance at at getting past the LA Clippers in this seven game series? They they absolutely have a chance. Like you, I think that the Clippers should be favored in this game. They are the better team. Kawhi Leonard, when he's firing all cylinders, is arguably the best player in the league. And I think those two factors alone, you have to give them the edge. But one thing the Nuggets do have in their favor is they're basically playing with house money at this point. Like nobody expected them to, to you know, push this Clippers team to seven games. Coming back from 3-1 in the fashion they've had, Nikola Jokic even said it after game six. He's like, all the pressure's on the Clippers right now. Who, by the way, is a franchise that doesn't exactly have a great history in these situations. Um, one of the interesting, th- interesting things to me is that, you know, with Kawhi, he's kind of looking to slay the demons of two franchises in back-to-back seasons. You know, last year with the Toronto Raptors, we had questions about the Raptors. They always seemed like they came up short in the moments where they needed, uh, you know, when the backs were against the wall, whether it was in the playoffs. So it's, it's Vince Carter's shot in Game 7. It's Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan leading them to the best record in the East, but then getting swept in the second round. And they could never quite get over that hump. And then Kawhi Leonard comes along and he makes that game winner in Game 7 against the 76ers and they ride that wave to their first title in franchise history. He's looking to do exactly, basically exactly the same thing with the Clippers right now. Um, you know, Game 7 in the second round win this series, move on, beat the Lakers, go to the finals, and then win uh, the, the first title in Clippers history. So that's just a f- another fascinating element to me in this series. But, um, I mean, when you when you have a guy who is as good as his Kawhi Leonard is, it's, it's hard to bet against him in one of these situations. It is hard to bet against him, uh, and, and you do have to bring in the historical factor. Most sports fans uh, kind of live and die with their franchise's history, and if you're a Clipper fan, you know uh, that your history has not been favorable to you um, since you've been a fan, really. They, they don't win much in these sort of situations. Things go against And Doc them. Rivers, by the way. I think Doc he's, Rivers as well. I think his teams, um, correct me if I'm wrong, have blown, is it two or three two. 3-1 leads in the playoffs? So this would be his third if it happens, um, yeah. which I believe is the most ever by a coach. So so that that, that just adds a, you know, a, little bit, a little bit more uh, context to all this. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. But Doc Rivers, of course, blowing that 3-1 lead famously uh, as the coach of the Orlando Magic. Tracy McGrady, your favorite player of all time, went to the podium. Yeah, said we, we don't need to. We, said. we don't and need to talk about that. And before you know it, the Detroit Pistons are moving on in that series after being down 3-1. And then the LA Clippers were on the verge of making the conference finals for the first time, by the way, in franchise history. And they blow a 3-1 lead to, uh, it was the Houston Rockets at that time? Yes, Yes, the, the Houston Rockets and Dwight Howard was on the team. That was a long time ago. Um, well, Clippers have a chance again to get to the conference finals, uh, and they have to avoid their second three-game losing streak of the season. Normally, teams like this good that normally flip the switch on and off don't go on three-game losing streaks. The Clippers have one three-game losing streak under the belt this season, and it came right at the All-Star break, Scott. They lost to Philly. They lost to Boston in back-to-back games. We watched that game together. That Boston game together is double overtime. We were, uh, or sorry, we, we it was double overtime. Um, Jason Tatum is, is really, you know, kind of stuck out his chest in that game and took over. And then they followed up by coming back after the All-Star break and losing 
to Sacramento Kings, a team they had no business losing to. That was their first three-game streak of the season. And you know what happened then? They went on a six-game winning streak and figured things out. And I think that's when everybody kind of realized, oh, man, this is this is a team that, uh, that means business. Well, the thing is here, Scott, if they lose tonight, Oof. it's over. There's no chance to come back for, uh, for a six-game winning streak. Um, what's your prediction heading into this game? I still think it's the Clippers. I, I, I got to ride with the Clippers. As I said, the, the, the better team, they have Kawhi Leonard. And we talked about this last week, that they have this weird thing where they almost act like a team sometimes that won the championship last season and they're kind of just coasting their way through because they know they can get to the finals. But yeah, like you're saying, this is a game seven. Like this, this is the point where you need to show up and, and, and you know, obviously they have to win to keep their season alive. Um, and there's just a ton of pressure on them beyond the, all, the whole stuff that we just talked about with the Clippers history. But even, you know, as much as they gave up to get Paul George, they did it with the hopes of winning a championship this season and next season. Um, so there's a ton of pressure on them. But I do think, you know, it's Kawhi Leonard. We've seen this guy step up in these moments before. Um, I, I think he'll do it again. I'm with you. I, I have the Clippers winning this one. It will shock me if Denver wins it. Um, I can watch the Denver Nuggets celebrate on the floor after Game 7, and I will still expect the Clippers to play another game after that. Like, I'll be waiting for <laughs> Game 8 of the series. That's how shocked I'll be if the Nuggets are able to pull this off because that's how much I believe in what the Clippers have talent-wise. Does that mean – and I still have them as the favorites to win the title. Does that mean I, I can't imagine a series where they lose the Lakers or potentially whoever comes out of the Eastern Conference – no, I, I can see them losing to the Lakers. I could see them losing in the finals, but I do expect them to get past the Denver Nuggets as good as Denver is and as good as they've been in this postseason, as great as Murray and, and Jokic and even at times Michael Porter have been. Um, I think the Clippers have enough to get by and win one game. Um, speaking of Michael Porter, he is my X factor heading into game seven. I think it either goes uh, the way of Michael Porter gets hot and he carries the Nuggets through to the second or to the third round now, uh, or he just has a complete off night and that's how he goes out on his shield. He's going to keep shooting and, 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 and try to keep this Nuggets team uh, in this game. Uh, that's a scary place to be in, uh, but uh, that's what I think will happen. Yeah, that, that, but that's the thing about Game 7s, right? You One player that you're not expecting to gets hot and suddenly it can completely change the game. And he's even though he's a rookie, he's absolutely someone who could do something like that because as we've seen in these playoffs, that guy has no shortage of confidence. Um, <laughs> he thinks every shot that he's taking, that, I think it was that huge shot and was it Game 5 um, or Game 6? I can't remember exactly, but that three-pointer he made that contested three-pointer, and then he got a block on the other, other end of the court. This guy acts like he's been, you know, a four-time All-Star already, um, which is what you want to see in a player like that, but it, it can just go anyway. You never know what you're going to expect from him. So he, he's definitely one guy who's it's going to be fascinating to see how he shows up in this game and how he plays. Yeah, it's going to be a slog. It's going to be a, it's going to be an ugly defensive battle, and Gary Harris is going to show up big time as well. Uh, and he was the, the one piece, I think, that a lot of people overlooked, including myself, uh, it helps Denver so much defensively just having him on the floor. We can talk about his offense. His offense is, is not really important because Denver could score without him. Yeah. But his defense, uh, you know, being on the floor, you just add another good defender, which the Nuggets desperately need uh, to, to get past this Clipper team. So it's, it's going to be it, Game 7. And, and we saw it last series, by the way. That Game 7, Gary Harris was the one who came up with that huge steal on Donovan Mitchell in the closing seconds. Um 
Yeah, but he's I, also I the one that almost gave it away, right? <laughs> no, he wasn't. It was it was Jamal Murray who passed it to Tory Craig um, for that <laughs> right. layup. If that's the one you're talking about, yes, um, it was Tory Craig. I'm, I'm mixing so, up Tory Craig and, and uh, Harris. Yeah, so we we've seen uh, Gary Harris come up big on that end of the call already in a game seven um, in these playoffs. So I, I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, and if you're a Nuggets fan, maybe things are working out for you. Maybe things are happening at the right time. Like Gary Harris comes back into the lineup at the right time. Uh, you know, Michael Conley Jr.'s three point heave. That could have sent you home. Doesn't go in. All of a sudden, the Clippers want to self-destruct in the middle of the playoffs while they were down up 3-1 in the series. Maybe this is your year. Sometimes you need luck, and sometimes uh, luck is on your side, and all you need is to make a couple shots in a Game 7, and you never know. You're, you're playing the Lakers. So some optimism for, for the Denver fan base, even though we picked against their team. We want to remind so- you that Sound System FC is your place to be. For all soccer news around the world, Lawrence and Bo have a preview of La Liga that got started last week. But you can still go ahead and listen to that show that is now in the archives and get ready for it this week. They will have more for you there. La Liga, I mean, you look at last year's standings. Atletico, Sevilla, Villarreal, all got better this year, in my opinion. They should maybe challenge the top two. Of course, Real Madrid uh, captured the title Barcelona with the beat, the drama in the offseason with Messi. He decides to stay. All that and more. One of the most interesting leagues in all of sports, La Liga. They have it covered for you over on Sound System FC. If you aren't already subscribed, go ahead and do that right now. Sound System FC, your home for soccer news. Uh, all right, let's get to the Lakers. The Lakers disposed of the Rockets in five games. To my surprise, and I think yours as well, we expected that series to go a little longer than it did. It was a dominant performance by the L.A. Lakers. They were forced to play Anthony Davis at the five. Anthony Davis hates that. He, he treats that like he uh, – I, I don't know what his beef is with <laughs> playing the center position. He can't stand it. But it worked out for the Lakers. And I, I wonder if playing Anthony Davis at the five or being forced to play Anthony Davis at the five to get past the Rockets set the Lakers up for success beyond that. Because that's clearly their best lineup. When AD's at the five and they can go small, that allows them to do a little bit more and, and it opens up driving lanes for LeBron and, and, and some of those role players. So my question to you, Scott, is did the Rockets kind of unlock the Lakers' secret weapon by accident? The, the interesting thing is Anthony Davis actually played uh, a decent amount of sensei in the regular season. According to Cleaning the Glass, about 60% of his minutes came at power forward, 40% at center. And the numbers are actually not that different to my surprise. But but like you, I think that I, there's no doubt that this Lakers team is best when Anthony Davis is playing center. Because like you're saying, it just opens up sh- so much more space, not only for him, but LeBron James as well. And as we've seen time and time and time again in LeBron's career, when he's surrounded by shooters and he has space to work with, that's when he's at his best. Which is which is why it's always surprising to me that teams like the Lakers don't just load up on shooters, um, because that's been the recipe for success for LeBron. So even though the numbers don't necessarily point to it being an absolute game changer, I think when you put all the pieces together, you look at the success they've had in this series and, and kind of the advantages that it, the things that it allows them to do offensively and defensively too, because. Anthony Davis is one of the best defenders in the league, a guy who can protect the rim, but also defend the perimeter. LeBron, when he's locked in, can still kind of match up with anyone. And you're surrounding them with guys like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who can shoot, guard multiple positions, Danny Green doing the same. And you can mix and match with guys like, you know, Kyle Kuzma, uh, Markeith Morris, depending on what you want. I think given the way that this roster is constructed, that's absolutely their best lineup. 
Um, and something we, I mean, we're going to see it in the next round, regardless of whether it's the Nuggets or the Clippers, um, because that, 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 that lineup is going to give them, I think, the strength that they need to, to get through to the next series and get to the finals. Yeah, Anthony Davis, come on. Uh, put your big boy pants on. This is your chance now to win a championship. You got to play the five. If it gives your team the best opportunity to win, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you on board with this? I, I understand hey. JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard are both there. And, uh, you know, the, you do have a size advantage over most teams when you do play big. And s- some of that could help, especially in the next series, whether it be the Nuggets or the Clippers. But still, if the, the best formula for the Lakers to get past any team now remaining in the postseason is with you at the five, go ahead and do it. Hey, look, I'll give him some defense here. I, I feel like the stuff with him playing set, not wanting to play center is a little bit overblown because one, their two big lineups this season have been great, whether it's JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard. And I think, you know, in the regular season, that helps a ton because Anthony Davis doesn't need to bang with the biggest players on the other end of the court, whether it's someone like a Joel Embiid or whatever, and you can kind of save his body um, for the playoffs. And I think too, like, I know it was a huge conversation point after game one in that series, we didn't really hear anything after that, any complaining from Anthony Davis or, or, or whatever it was about playing center. So I think he understands that. Like, I, I think, you know, he much prefers to play power forward because he doesn't want to, you know, bang around with bruises in the paint and everything like that. But when push comes to shove, he's shown time and time again in his career that he's willing to do it. Yeah. So you got to give him why you didn't hear any complaining from him because they won the game. So how are you going to complain when you're winning games? You can't complain in a win. You just have to take it. And by the way, He's never been in the conference finals. He's never been this close to an NBA title. Now is not the time to wince about whether or not you play you play center or for. If they want to put you at small forward, you got to play small forward, Anthony Davis. He hasn't, he hasn't been complaining though. He hasn't been he, complaining because they've been winning. That's the only reason why. He, how are you going to complain when you're winning? You, you sound like a I, I don't know a, a, a sore teammate, but he, that has to stop. He's playing the five the rest of the way. If I'm Frank Vogel, uh, you know, and that Lakers staff, make sure that Anthony Davis plays the five as many minutes as possible. Because, like I said, that's the best lineup that the Lakers have. All right, let's move on to a series that gets underway tonight. Scott, the the Heat, who I predicted would get to this far in the playoffs, and the Celtics. Uh, the Celtics Heat matchup should be a defensive battle. No surprise to either team because the last two series that they had to go through were defensive battles, um, albeit the sweep that Miami went through in their first round. Not much resistance there. And then they didn't face much resistance really against the Bucks. The Celtics, on the other hand, just went through not even a 12-round fight. That was more of like an old-school 15-round fight with the Toronto Raptors. Uh, they were thanking the NBA schedule makers to allow them to have that break between the end of that series and the start of the new one against the Heat because had they had to turn around and play on Sunday, whoa, that would have been tough. But yeah. uh, how do you see this series breaking down? Because there's so many interesting matchups across the board. And where do you, where do you go first? Yeah, the interesting thing is, I mean, we could probably talk about them for two hours. There's just so much to pick apart from both teams. You know, we're, we're talking about two teams that have some of the best coaches in the league and Eric Spolstra, Brad Stevens, two teams that play both ends of the court at a really high level. Um, both teams that have, you know, all-stars and superstars who can get hot and, and carry them to wins in, in pretty much any game. Um, so I, I think this is another one that could very well go the distance. I think I, I think I had the Celtics in six maybe, but I would not be shocked at all, first of all, if it goes to seven, and secondly, if the Heat win, because quite frankly, the Heat have been the, I think, 
if not the best team, the second best team um, since the season returned a couple mm-hmm. months ago um, and the way that they've played in these playoffs. Well, the one big thing that's looming in this series is Gordon Hayward's impact um, because he sprained his ankle in game one of the playoffs. Hasn't played since, but it looks like he's going to return at some point in the series. I think he's been ruled out for game one. Um, but he's a guy who, who who could be huge for the Celtics in this series. One, for his defensive versatility, but two, his ability to you know space the floor as a three-point shooter, but also make plays and take pressure off of Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, and Jalen Brown. That obviously hinges on him being the kind of the player he was prior to their injury um, ankle injuries are not is not an easy injury to come back from he's going to have to get himself in shape in a series that you know really matters at this point um, but if he can come back and kind of be the player that he was before that injury I think that's only going to help the Celtics and swing the, the series in their favor um, in quite a big way yeah Jay J, uh, Gordon Hayward injury aside I have the Celtics uh, winning in seven and honestly I don't feel great about it um, there, there, if there was a way for me to do what you normally do and sit on the fence with this series, <laughs> I would have went there. I, I don't. I, I could see both teams winning, and I really don't know. This is one of those series where you really don't know what's going to happen until you see it play out in front of your face. There's, mm-hmm. Everyone can make predictions, and but but I think it's it's tough to see what's going to happen because both of these teams could do and win so many different ways, and both of these coaches have proven in the past that they'll do anything they can. To adjust to their opponent, so uh, I, I really expect to see this, you know, two-two by the end of the game four. I expect to go seven, and it's going to be a toss-up for me. Um, I will be shocked if, if if it's a short series either way. Um, for the Heat, I've said it all all season long. I think they have a formula that creates winning. They they know what they're doing offensively. They know they're going to get their three-point shooting uh, in the mix. They they have great three-point shooters. They can defend. Even with the three-point shooters on the floor who aren't great defenders, they're just a really good team uh, defense. Um, and then they have the closer. You know, Jimmy Butler kind of sleepwalks through the first three and a half quarters, and then when it's time to shine, he takes over the game and becomes one of the best players in the world. Uh, that's, a, to me, a great formula to have. And, and when you have Eric Spolstra, one of the most underrated coaches, underappreciated coaches in the league, kind of pulling the strings there, that, that is a recipe for success. But they are going in a series, uh, having come, you know, go up, going up against the Bucks and spending so much time preparing for that Bucks team, that is completely different than the Celtics. Like the Celtics have three guys that can beat you off the bounce and do different things. That defensive scheme that they kind of brought for Milwaukee is not going to work against the Boston Celtics, and it, that's what's going to be interesting to me. Is it's how is Spoelstra going to create this scheme? to try and keep the three-headed monster in Boston in check. And if Marcus Smart's still playing great, that's going to be tough. And then they get Gordon Hayward back at some point in the series. That's going to be tough. So it's going to be interesting for me to see what the Heat really do defensively more than anything. Where do they play Bam Adebayo? Is he, uh, is he going to stick on Tyson and you can kind of, you know, be a safety uh, the entire, you know, the entire uh, on, on the defensive end? Or do you try and, you know, lock him down on Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or uh, what do you do there? It's it's interesting how many different matchups uh, both of these teams can really kind of play around with, and it's a basketball nerd series for for me. Um, <laughs> give me give me a prediction here. Celtics, or actually, you gave me you gave me the Heat. Uh, sorry, you gave me the Celtics in six. Mm-hmm. Give me a prediction for tonight, game one. Who do you think gets off underway with uh, with the on the plus side after the first one? Hmm. 
I, I think the Celtics. I think the Celtics would come out and get this game one, and then I think Spo will make some adjustments going into game two. Because, um, like you said, the, the matchup side of this is just fascinating. Um, even beyond, you know, how do the Heat match up with the Celtics? I think how do the Celtics match up with the Heat? Um, Goran Dragic has been a huge reason for their success in these playoffs. He's basically back to playing like an All Star, uh, the All Star that he was. So, you know, is this a series where Mark Smart's guarding him from game one onwards? Um, do we see Bam Adebayo maybe guard Jason Tatum every so often? Um, but then, you know, how do they match up? With, how do the Celtics match up with Jimmy Butler? Um, is, is Jason Tatum guarding him? Is Jimmy Butler guarding him? Whatever the case may be. Um, so that's going to be, you know, another, as you said, this is a nerd series. Guys going to be able to pick apart what each coach, what adjustments they're making in each game. Um, but I do think it's the, the Celtics take game one. I think I just think they're the slightly better team, to be honest. Um, and I think that that usually comes to fruition in game one. Yeah, I'm going the other way here. I, I think the Heat had, you know, the extra couple of days to really prepare for this team. They're going to come out with the game plan and maybe steal some things that the Raptors did against the Celtics to kind of slow them down a bit and, and, and come out away with game one. Whereas the Celtics had such a short window to really get emotionally over that win. Um, and, and, and they may come out flat in game one. Uh, so so I'm going I'm going heat this time around. Real quick, um, by the way, the um, like you said, learning from what the ha- happened uh, the last series with the Raptors, it's going to be interesting to see if how much zone defense the Heat play in this series because I mm. don't think that they've played zone at all in the playoffs so far. Um, but I also think that they played zone more than any other team in the regular season. They were. and Toronto's zone defense actually did give Boston some troubles in the last round. Uh, to the point where I do think, you know, Eric Spolstra, you know he made note of that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if that's something they show in game one or if that's something they save more for, you know, if their backs are ever against the wall. So that's, that's another yeah. thing to watch out for. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And it, and it, allows, to, it allows Miami to, to hide guys like Duncan Robinson, um, mm-hmm. who I don't know who you, you kind of have him guard. Uh, and they're a better team when he's offensively when he's on the floor. So different things that they could do there. How does uh, how does Miami sort of match up with Boston's wings, who are so dynamic? The Raptors have trouble with it, and they figure to go to the zone. Maybe Miami does the same. Um, all right, let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks before we get out of here, because that is the biggest story heading into the offseason. They obviously lose 4-1. Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the likely MVP, Turned his ankle twice in the series. He missed the final game of the series, sat out, had to watch his team get eliminated, and he got a kind of close-up view as to what this team looks like when he is not there. And maybe that was the discussion that he had with the team owner. Uh, they had a meeting reportedly, uh, spent you know a couple hours going through how this team can get better and what the commitment from ownership will be to improve this team. This is an ownership, I remind you, that did not want to go into the luxury tax to sign Malcolm Brogdon, who probably could have helped in the series that we just saw them get crushed in. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon is now in Indiana. Um, So I wonder what was said in the meeting. I wonder what happens now going forward. And I wonder if Giannis holds off on signing that big deal to make sure that the promises that were likely made to him in that meeting are kept. I wouldn't be surprised if he holds off for that exact reason. Because like you're saying, the, the one big thing that came out of that is that they told Giannis that they were willing to spend into the luxury to, to kind of surround him with a championship supporting cast. And I think after what's happened in the last two seasons, it's now on them to, to prove that. So I, I like you, I, I would not be shocked if Giannis kind of holds off on signing that Supermax to kind of hold them to their word. 
and see what they're going to do. And it's not going to be easy for them to do that because um, they've got a bunch of guys under contract already. They don't have the kind of space to make a move in free agency this summer or anything like that, um, which makes me believe, you know, like, it, is is that the sign that they're going to look into making a trade this offseason? Um, you know, the, the talk of Chris Paul potentially being their target has already begun. Um, and I think, you know, if, if, if they got this version of Chris Paul uh, or this season's Chris Paul, he would fit like an absolute dream in Milwaukee. But coming together, putting a package together for that is not going to be easy. So, you know, whether it is Chris Paul or someone else, Milwaukee's front office is going to have their work cut out for them this summer. Yeah, everyone's talking about Chris Paul being in Milwaukee at some point or Milwaukee at least trying to acquire the services of Chris Paul. As you said, that's not going to be easy. And that will definitely gut the depth of this team. Um, and make not them old, because, by the way. Yeah, and make them older. But not just because... Uh, They'll have to, you know, give up so much talent to get Chris Paul, but because you got to match that salary that Chris Paul is walking around with, it's not cheap, and there's not a lot of players on the Bucks right now that make that type of money. So the package that they offer is going to be three, maybe even four players uh, deep, and that is excluding giving up Chris Middleton, who I, I would assume they would try to hold on to, because I don't know how much better you get replacing Chris Paul with Chris Middleton. But that's another discussion for another time but the question i want to ask you is outside of chris paul if they go the free agency route what do they do or if they go another try to acquire another player in the nba that may be available may become available we obviously don't know these things is there something else that they can do to try and improve this team and if you don't know specific players but maybe what areas they should look at is it shooting is it defense is it ball handling where should they go to try and improve this team I mean, I think the reason that Chris Paul has been linked to them so much is because he does kind of tick all the boxes for them. Um, you know, we've seen in the playoffs that Eric Bledsoe, he's one of the best defensive point guards in the league, but his limitations offensively next to Giannis, it, it, it's glaring in the playoffs because teams basically just pack the paint against Giannis, have his defender help off of him, um, and just dare him to settle for shots um, or three-point shots or whatever. If, if you have someone like Chris Paul, that's no longer an option. Um, another thing is Chris Paul was basically the best closer in the league this season. You put that next to to Giannis and Chris Middleton, it's going to be really hard to slow them down in those situations. And oh, by the way, even though Chris Paul is in his mid-30s at this point, he's still a terrific defender, a guy who can guard multiple positions and all that. So I think when, when you talk about guys who can make a difference on this Bucks team, that there is a reason why Chris Paul is linked to them. Um, Beyond him, like we just have no idea who's going to become available this offseason. You know, there's been talk of like a Bradley Beal, for example, but it seems like I'd be more surprised if he went to the Bucks um, than the Nets, for example. Like that, that seems to be the kind of team that would pounce on that opportunity. Um, so beyond them, I'm not really sure, but but I, I do think there's a reason Chris Paul has just been linked to them so many times. It's so hard to win in the NBA. The Bucks had two chances, two championship chances, really right in front of their faces. They didn't get as far as they expected to. And when you look about look around the NBA and, and what it's going to be like potentially next season, you're going to have a Boston, Indiana, a Boston and uh, Miami team that are playing in the conference finals this season with a lot of young talent that should get better just from being in the conference finals. Who knows what happens with Philly? Brooklyn's expected to be better. The Raptors, depending on what they do this offseason, should either be the same or you know looking forward ahead. Uh, Indiana should be healthy, so that mm -hmm. means that they could be better. And then you get Washington. Who knows what happens with them? They lost a lot of, of of games because they just didn't have available bodies to play talent. But John Wall comes back, and uh, who knows what happens with it, with Bertans? But 
this Eastern Conference isn't getting any easier. Uh, and the Milwaukee Bucks, who ran away with it two years in a row now, are coming back down to earth in the regular season. And clearly in the playoffs, they haven't had enough to get through. I wonder if, you know, outside of making adjustments and acquiring talent, I wonder how much Bud can actually change. This is now his opportunity to prove to everybody that he is the good coach. I think he's still a good coach. Um, but he has kind of uh, dropped the ball in the playoffs two years in a row now. And he has to learn to make those adjustments in the postseason, no question about it. But maybe his scheme needs a little bit of tweaking. Maybe it's playing Giannis more at the center position, just like I said Anthony Davis did. And I think Giannis would be willing to do that. Maybe it's playing Giannis more at the center position to allow more spacing on the floor. And I know that they have spacing on the floor now. But it's different type of spacing when you have Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, and those guys mm-hmm. on the floor with him. That that's kind of fool's goal spacing. Are they willing three point shooters? Yes. Are they good three point shooters or great three point shooters? No. You know, so it's, it doesn't put any fear into the opposing, you know, the opposing defense. And that's what we saw with the Heat. They really just said, "Go ahead, beat us with that three point shooting," um, and and we'll we'll make sure that Giannis stays in check. So, wonder if that system kind of changes a little bit, or if they just get better players to fit that system. All of that will be interesting in the off season. Um, you know, and, and like I said, the East isn't getting any easier anytime soon. We'll be back next week right here across the NBA Global Networks on NBA Sound System Live, 3 p.m. every Tuesday Eastern time, that is. For Scott Rafferty, I'm Carlin Gay. We hope you enjoy Game 7 and Game 1 of the Conference Finals, and we will see you next week right here on NBA Sound System Live. Oh,